Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex! What is up, man? Well, Mike, it feels like it's been a while. It, it does. Doesn't it feel it, like it's been a while? And that's because it has. It has. And, you know, when if we were talking about, like, 10 years ago, if we had started this ten, if we had started this podcast ten years ago, first of all, pioneers like crazy, good call by us. Second, yeah, of we're all, not we're not EDH pioneers. No, we're not. We're not. We are uh, we are we are not trailblazers, but we are trail walkers, and I'm fine with that. Um, ten years ago, if we had had a break like the one we just had, uh, for various reasons, new job, new house, broken computer. Uh, the, just the world, uh, kind of being against us. Um, I don't think it would have been that big of a deal, but now magic in, you know, 2022, that's the year it is. Yeah. That, um, sorry for dating ourselves here. Um, when it is spoiler season, then release, then spoiler season, usually like 45 minutes after release date kind of stuff. That's when it gets to, a yeah, point. I think that if this were 10 years ago that we probably would have missed one set and then maybe mm. a supplemental something. Yeah. But I think that we've probably missed four sets in the yep. time that we've been gone and we've only been gone a few months. Yep. So first of all, my bad, everybody, uh, we are, we're not going to rehash those because that's that's a lot to go back to. If you want to ask us any questions about any of those sets or any of the cards or any of the cool interactions or anything like that, you can hop into our Discord. We're going to put a link in the show notes. You can also email us at thesocialcontractedh at gmail.com or hit up my myself or Alex on the Twitters. We'll talk about all of those different links and everything like that later. What we're going to do instead is we're going to hit a topic... We're going to hit what we're doing in a much broader sense, which is returning to the game after a long time. Now, that can be different for lots of people, right? I I feel like every guest that we've had on, for the most part, uh, I know myself included, there is a, oh, I played Magic a lot, like a long time ago, and then I took a break from it for several years because of some kind of reason. And then a friend got me back into it, and now I'm playing again. So there's the several years gap, and then there's the gap that we're talking about, which is, hey, it's been a couple of months. What have I missed, and how do I get caught back up? Well, you probably missed about a thousand cards. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Just in the past couple of months. So that's what we're dealing with. Uh, the reprinting of cards, the new cards, the, well, what, the stocks, the, the, there's a bunch of that stuff. We're going to touch on bits and pieces. What this episode is going to be is more of a, hey, let's return to the game. And that means two different things that we have to worry about as far as being in a pod and playing with players, right? So we're going to start with returning to the game as far as relearning the game. And that may seem kind of silly. It's like, oh, it's magic. Yes, but have you, you know, it's not exactly like riding a bike. Riding a bike, great. I have to sit on the seat. My hands usually go on the handlebars. I pedal. Sometimes I have gears. Sometimes I don't. But there's literally the, oh, it's like learning to ride a bike again. Just get back on. You're good. Magic has so many extra gears and parts and things and the stack and everything like that. So let's... Let's just go back to learning the game real quick, real refresher. We're going to start with uh, something really simple. Alex, why don't, you, why don't you hit us off? Yeah, Mike, I think that's uh, for somebody returning to the game of Magic. It's been a while. The number one thing that's easy to forget or just not get it right immediately, it's all those steps and phases, right? There yep. are so many different parts of a turn. In fact... Let's go through them now, right? Yep. First, we have the beginning phase, right? The beginning phase includes the untap step, the upkeep step, and the draw step, right? And then we have uh, our first main phase, during which you do all your main phase things. Then the combat phase, which contains lots of different steps, beginning of combat, 
Declare attackers, mm. declare blockers, mm. first strike damage, regular strike damage, end of combat. Then we get a second main phase, and then we get the ending phase, which includes the end step and the cleanup step. Mike, that's a lot of steps and phases. Like, I'm a judge, and I can barely remember them all. So it can right. be very useful, especially if you're a new player, you're coming back. Um, incidentally, some playmats even have this. Just have the steps and phases written down and say them out loud as you go through them. Just to make sure you have your receipts, right? You don't want to have a situation where you accidentally do something before you're allowed to, or maybe you forgot a phase and somebody thinks you're trying to skip a phase to avoid getting responded to. I think that it really helps to just have them written down if you need them. And even if you don't need them, just try saying them out loud as you move through them. Yeah, and here's the thing. It one of my favorite things that magic has done in a long time is whenever there's like the pre-con uh the pre-con commander decks yeah. or uh even like just some you know if you buy just a regular pack the little card that comes in there sometimes that's like hey these are your phases in order because it's important to have that and it's not just because oh well it uh, yeah it's uh, un- untap upkeep draw cool if it's been a while, sometimes I don't remember that order. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you just have to, hey, remember to draw a card first because it's a four-player game. Yeah, you know, exactly. stuff like that. So just having them written down isn't a big deal. And I I use it, and I, I, I play Magic pretty consistently. And things right? happen during each of these steps and phases that you may not necessarily be thinking of, like, oh, untap upkeep draw, like... Yeah, those, that's just three things that happen and, and nothing's happening during them. No, things are happening, right? Oh, Alex, I'm be- so happy you pointed that out. Because let's move to our next point yeah. here. Uh, number uh, number two in relearning the game. Announce what you're doing each step this and read your cards very aloud. good habit. Now, I, I have my own little blurb on this, but you have said this and you have a very good example as far as watching Magic Online. Um, so I'm going to throw this to you. And I'll fill in the gaps here, but I, I, you've said something several times as far as what people do when they're playing Magic Online, and I really appreciate. Yeah, when people are playing Magic Online, maybe on Spell Table or Tabletop, uh, whatever way you use to play Magic Online, people afford a courtesy that is not always afforded in uh, in person, in store, mm-hmm. Paper Magic, and that is saying literally everything that they do, right? Because webcams are grainy and messy uh there's always stuff happening on the board right so announcing each individual thing helps make sure everybody at the table is up to speed it keeps you honest about what you're doing and i'm not sure what specific example mike wanted me to bring up maybe you can help me out here yeah, absolutely. One of the things you pointed out is, yeah, if you're talking about playing a game with friends on some kind of online resource, absolutely. But you've pointed out like, hey, if you watch game nights, one of the things they do is they say the card they're playing and they'll show the card. Yeah. And a lot of times they would announce what the card does. Exactly. And it's so the way that I've done it, if you uh, I don't remember what YouTube channel it was, but it was somebody who was doing deep dives on like magic tournaments like from decades past, right? And there people announce their phases and things and it's because they're giving the opponent a chance to respond or it's, you know, announcing triggers, etc. I'm I'm leaning less in that direction for it. Where I'm leaning is more you should do you should play magic especially if you're getting back into the mix of it like you're doing it as a podcast, like it's an audio medium to where right. hey I need to hear what this is. Please please tell me what you're doing, where you're at, what you're playing, what it does, and then announce how it interacts with the board in some way, shape, or form. Because, one, it's going to be great for everybody else to know what the heck you're doing. And, two, it's going to be really good for you to know what you're doing. The amount of times that I have reread a card and I've said it out loud and I went, that says something different than I remember it saying. Exactly. And even is if not you, zero. <laughs> even if you know your cards, 100%, I know all my cards, there's no mm-hmm. way I would ever make a mistake like that. Okay, that's fine. I think that in our sphere of expertise, whether that's knowing the cards in your deck, whether that's mm-hmm. your professional field or your field of study in school, we tend to overestimate 
the knowledge that somebody not familiar with that area would have compared to us. For sure. We think of ourselves as like, oh, yeah, I have a pretty okay baseline knowledge, the same that anyone else would have, maybe a little bit more. But I think right. in a lot of cases, we're overestimating, right? When you might know every card in the deck like a back of your hand, a lot of people might not even have heard of half of those cards in that deck. Yeah. And it's and, not and unreasonable either. Even even to add on that, the amount of, like, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the cards in Magic, but I am definitely in the, like, I'd say top 20% in knowledge mm-hmm. of what cards exist in Magic, what they do, and the format itself, right? If there is a game of Magic that happens that I am a part of, where I don't have to ask somebody to read a card for me. I'm sorry, what's that do? What are you playing? And that's me feeling pretty good about it, right? So now think about anybody who's relearning or playing, you know, one of their earliest games or even just, it's a weird card. There's a lot of weird cards in Magic. You know what I mean? There are tens of thousands of cards in Magic. Yeah, and the amount of interactions and weird stuff and great i don't know what that card does well great maybe that card doesn't do anything really important but when it's paired with this other thing that's on the board yeah that does become uh, an important thing so there you go i um, i tend to try to get everyone to be as open as i'm trying to be right i don't just ask hey what is that card what does it do mm-hmm. um it's a common question for me to ask and I don't feel bad about it. I'll ask, Hey, I'm about to do this. Is there any effect on the board that's going to make that be a stupid move? That's an okay question to ask Mike. Yeah. All you're doing is you are revealing knowledge that is in your purview to do. Like if you're going to play something and you are, think of it like threat assessment. People get so mad when threat assessment is off. Oh, I can't believe you targeted this versus this. Hey, you know what's a really good way to do threat assessment properly? Ask. Pull the table. Yeah. You know, what do we think is the problem right now? What's happening right now? Right. And frankly, if if three out of four people say that you are the problem and you don't think you're the problem, maybe examine that. You know what I mean? Ah, don't target don't target target this uh, yes, thing. It's I fine. It's fine because everybody hates me and I'm perfect. No, no, no. I don't hate you. So there you go. No, I was See? I'm sure you've seen the threads on forums and yeah, yeah. the EDH separator where it's why are why are people targeting me? I'm the yeah. best. This isn't <laughs> this isn't a me thing. This isn't everyone else thing. Like why are people targeting me? Don't they know I'm supposed to win? Yeah. Exactly. Um so next one uh it, we're gonna we're gonna take away from the card descriptions for a little bit, and we're gonna to- talk about the social element. Um, hey, let people know at the table. It's been a while. I haven't played Please, for a while. Absolutely. Like you and I are gonna try and do our very best. Where unless somebody is just the worst kind of person, we're gonna try and make it the most engaging experience and make sure that everybody's having as much fun as we possibly can. Right. And even if somebody is the worst, we're still gonna try. Right. Right. So if you let us know, hey, it's been a while. Great. I'm going to be much more uh, aware of when people are playing cards and not saying what they do. If I know that you haven't played for a while or if you're new to the game. So then you have somebody else in your corner saying, hey, can you read that card aloud? And you I know what I mean? Some of the people listening to this might misinterpret what we're saying as mm-hmm. somebody has been gone for a while. Um uh, or people want to ask questions about what they're doing. So we're just trying to make the game uh, easier and more brainless. But that's yeah. not really that. what we're going for here, right? Not, not at all. We're not like, first of all, I love playing with new players. It's the best. Mm-hmm. And I do not throw when I'm playing against new players. That's not no, what no, this not is about. This is about being accommodating for new players. And honestly, even at two or three years ago, I might not have said this, but even experienced players are going to need uh, reads on new cards. There are hundreds of cards coming out every single month of the year now. Yep. Yep. You have to, it, it's not just a, hey, dumb it down. 
yeah. because it's better that way. We're not even saying dumb it down. Exactly. We're, it's it's just open the book. Think think about it this way: if, if you're playing a regular game of EDH, you're probably look say it's say it's an hour and twenty minutes, okay, for a pot of four. That's that seemed like a reasonable amount of time for one game. Yeah. Okay. If you announce the cards as you're playing them, and you announce your phases and your steps, and every player does that, does the game go 20 minutes longer? I think like the game 30 actually goes faster, right? And, and that's what I wanted to get okay, into. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you're right, but that's I, I agree with you. Tell me why you think it goes faster. I think it goes faster, Mike, because a lot of the time, right, the time that is spent in turns is not evenly distributed and it's not even evenly distributed among different types of decks right at the start of the game turns tend to go really fast there's not very many different decisions that a player has to consider before they make their turn right but later in the game it's those mid and especially the end game turns that really start to tack on time at the end of the game i'm Mm -hmm. sure you've been in those games that are on turn 12 plus and each turn is taking five or more minutes that's when it really starts to grind. But how can that be alleviated? Well, if somebody has the information ahead of time and doesn't have to formulate a plan from scratch, and granted, this is not solely on uh, the other people playing. This is also somebody knowing their deck and making their plans. But you can contribute your end of that, which is making people aware of what you've done, what you're doing, what you have in the field, what threats you have. Mm-hmm. What's going on and answering their questions? What does that card do? What do these cards do? Does that interact with this? Making this information available, I think, actually has the potential to make the game go faster by sort of arresting or at least tempering these turns where people are thinking for minutes and minutes, like, what am I going to do? I have to go through all these different options because we're able to better construct an idea of what we're going to do based on knowledge of the game pieces. Right. There's sometimes there's 50, 100 permanents on the field when it gets that late in the game. And trying to construct a turn by figuring all of that out rather than sort of building up what you're thinking over the course of your turn or over the course of the game. That's my argument. It may not actually end up going faster, but I think it's not going to tack on as much time as you might think to read those cards out. So let's show our work here a little bit. Okay. Um, we're talking about reading cards off so people know what they do. Let's let's just go with one that we're familiar with that we like. Uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up Glunch, okay? Because this is a card that has a lot of words to it, right? Yeah. Uh, one green white for a zero five flying legendary creature jellyfish. At the beginning of your end step, choose a player. They put two plus one plus one counters on a creature contr- they control. Choose a second player to draw a card. Choose a third player to create two treasure tokens. You say that this is what you're playing. You play this card, and then you say, all right, go to my end step. Choose a player. They put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control. I'm going to choose you. Choose a second player to draw a card. I'm going to choose you. Choose a third player to create two treasure tokens. I'm going to choose you. That's a mouthful, right? Yeah. But now because I've said it, now because we've gone through the exercise of doing it and because I announced that it was at my end step and then I go to my end step and I read the card and I do the card again, my next turn, it is more likely than not I'm going to say, go to end step, lunch triggers, you're going to get two plus one plus one counters, you're going to get a card and you're going to get two treasure tokens. Because this has been something that's established and people know what the card does, you can shorthand it a little bit the next time, as long as you're saying all the things that it does. You're exactly right, Mike. Establishing the rules properly, and when you have something like this, um, call it a ritual, not like a mana ritual, but something that's happening on your board every turn. Right. Once you've established that that's how it works and that's what's happening, now not only are people going to expect it, which is reinforcing uh, their knowledge of that effect on the field, but you're able to save that extra time by, like you said, shorthand. Yeah. And so it's it's not a bad thing to repeat yourself as far as talking about what the cards do and what their intent is. You do have to be careful, right, though, because you don't want to shorthand it the first time. A lot of people do exactly. this. Exactly. Especially on those more complex cards, they'll 
uh, give you the gist of it that may not really be rules accurate and it may actually leave out information that you needed. Yeah, because I'm not going to lie. There was one time where I read Glunch in my head as target player puts a, a two plus one plus one counters on each creature they control. I know that's not the case, mm-hmm. but I read it that way in my head one time. And then I read my card out loud and I saw that difference and I went, hmm, I'm going to have to double check this real quick. It's just you can presume to know the card. If somebody else is playing the card, you can presume for them to know it. And that's actually going to go into our last point here. Alex, tell me the last point that we've got for relearning the game. So my the, the final point is to ask for the card descriptions and what they do. And it's okay to do that. Right. Yeah. You're not. Even if you think you're annoying somebody by asking, mm-hmm. you're not. And even if you are, it doesn't matter because they're playing the card. It's you want to know what it does. This is a game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is a game of information. This isn't chess. You're not asking them what the bishop does. This is <laughs> okay. fantasy chess. And you're asking them, what does the glunch bishop do? Right. And, and how does the glunch bishop interact with the Zer queen exactly. with the sliver pawn and all this other stuff i've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying this game and its rules and its interactions i still probably get one in three questions wrong sure this is a ultra complicated game mathematically it's the most complicated game that Mm -hmm. we're aware of that exists and the number of interactions even between two cards is an unfathomable large number. Yeah. And when when we're talking about ask for the card descriptions, great. Mm-hmm. That means reading the card. Great. The, reading the card that tells you what the card does. The card. All, yeah, all that, all that jazz. Except for sometimes it doesn't. Because right. me playing a uh, Dockside Extortion is great. When it enters, it does this thing. Cool. Enters for each uh, enchantment and artifact your opponent's control... Uh, you're going to make a bunch of treasure tokens. Cool. That explains the card. Deadeye av- Navigator, where I can soul bond it, and the thing that it's soul bonded to, I can blink that back and forth. Cool. Those are two very different card descriptions. But when you put those cards together, those card descriptions don't mean as much as what happens is this enters, and I'm going to make a lot of treasure. Exactly. Explain and then, the interaction. Exactly. You're explaining what they do, not just what the card says. Right. Uh, the, the main thing I want to get to in this point, good pods don't hide. Exactly. It, it, you can, it, like, there's a difference between, oh, I've got, you know, some cards in my hand that I don't want you to know about. You don't want to hide interactions that are on the board and hope that other people don't notice your sneaky thing. You want people to notice what's on the board because yeah. there's no victory so hollow as one that you tricked someone into winning. Right. If somebody knew, if somebody could beat you in a game, if they knew how the game was played, or if they knew the card interaction. Do you really feel positively about that result? I don't, right? And that's where a lot of the time it's, hey, I want to make everybody aware. There's been times where I wasn't aware of something that my my board state could do. We've talked about this. And then I figured out, I'm letting everybody know. We've talked about this. I mean, when I'm... A threat to win mm-hmm. the turn before I will openly announce that I'm threatening to win what pieces are a part of that win and yep. what they would need to do to stop it. Because Mike, I mean, if they knew, then they would try to stop it. And if they don't know, am I even really playing against them or am I just hiding with the fact that there's You're, hundreds of cards yeah. on the table? There, we're talking about the difference between I am trying to win the game and I am trying to have a fun game. Exactly. You can still try and win and how to, to, to for the fun because winning is fun. It's great. Cool. We're not saying don't try and win. <laughs> we're saying and we're also not saying that fun. you have to lay your entire deck strategy bare, right? Right. You can assemble yeah. the combo without saying like, okay, this is the first part of my three part combo. That's not really what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm don't don't about tell everybody. As yeah. you increase your threat level, it can be appropriate to to point those things out, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm very near a win. 
this next turn I'm going to Alpha Strike. This next turn I'm going yeah. to combo off. This next yep. turn I'm going to make infinite mana. I'm I'm a big proponent of asking the table several times a game. Sometimes because I'm going to remove a threat, and sometimes just because I want to see where everybody's at. Hey, what's the biggest problem on the board right now? And I'll ask. And exactly. sometimes I know it's me. And I want to make sure I know where everybody else's headspace is at. If somebody is about to do an attack and I'm the biggest problem and they should attack me and they're not sure, I'll say, you should probably swing at me. Like, I, it's, it's, it's a thing where I'm not going to tell somebody what to do, but I am going to make suggestions based on how I am seeing the board state. And if I'm sharing my information with everybody, not every card in my hand, but here are the interactions and here was what my deck wants to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then even if I lose, but it was optimal, right? If people were making plays with good information, it's going to be a good game. That's the way you should operate. And relearning the game, sometimes that's just asking the questions that are on the table as well as asking people to read the things that they're doing. Exactly. And you, you talked about threat assessment, which is one of the most complex parts of strategy in this game. Right? I was waiting which, for you to say contentious. <laughs> well, sure, contentious too. But like, why is it so contentious? Why are so many people, quote unquote, bad at threat assessment? I think that no small portion of it has to do with this kind of underhanded kind of politics because you know mm. that I love to use threat assessment as politics, but yeah. being honest about your level of threat, about what your most dangerous things are, not only is that going to lend uh you know a an air of integrity to you when when you're naming other threats on the board, uh mm. it's also going to be actually improving your pods threat assessment now and in the future and i think that one of the reasons why threat assessment is so like i said quote unquote bad is is because people are doing these things right like oh this isn't a threat this isn't a threat that is a threat but they're not being honest about the state of their board sure and i guess people aren't learning necessarily that's just a theory but i I, I want to add on to your theory because I actually I, I like your theory. I don't think people have bad threat assessment. I think people are biased and sometimes ignorant. If you don't know that something is part of a piece that interacts with another piece and if they untap with it, it's going to be bad. Right. That's technically, I guess that's bad threat assessment. But if you don't know about it, you don't know about it. If you ask the table about it, you've got a much better chance of finding out whether it's because the player who actually controls the threat or if there's other people that are saying, oh, no, this is, oh, this is a problem. It's This is a collaborative format. Exactly. I don't care what anybody else says. CEDH, EDH, whatever. It is a collaborative format because you are com you are having the social contract to work together to build the best possible experience of a game where there is a competition to it. If you are biased, yeah, I don't want you to blow up my stuff. If you blow up my stuff, I will not have as good of a chance of winning the game. However, if I am also willing to acknowledge my, gosh, I'm trying to think of a terrible a card that uh, uh, I wouldn't want people to remove. I mean, like, it, my stasis is a problem because if I'm playing it, I'm aware of it. Right, my my uh, my Zurin orb, uh, you know, oh zero, sacrifice a land, gain some life. That seems innocuous unless you've got the cards and the kind of deck that is going to interact with it and make it a real big problem. Mm -hmm. That's the point. So your bias and not knowing are two things that just by asking, you're going to be a lot more aware of. Which is so, interesting, right? I think that. Having a person doing that, and usually it does end up being a new player. You don't typically have established mm -hmm. players putting themselves out there and willing to ask for individual cards. I think that merely the act of asking 
what is that card? What does it do? What is it interacting with on the board? Like what kind of strategy is that enabling? I think that even that is able to start a conversation about threat assessment, even if they don't know to start that conversation. And that's invaluable. If if somebody, and you get to do a little bit of like sleuthing at like, you know, not professional psychiatrist with people as well. When you say, hey, what's that card say? Exactly. Okay. What's it do? And if they get, oh, nothing. Listen, if a card has 20 lines of text on it, and then the response was it doesn't do anything. That's a good point. It doesn't do anything right now. But I'll tell you, Zurin Orb is typically used to facilitate mass land destruction strategies, which lock people out of the game. And everyone's like, mass land destruction? I heard that I'm supposed to hate that. (laughs) (laughs) See? Biases. Exactly. (laughs) All right. uh, We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to move from relearning the game to learning uh, what you missed out on. Uh, so with that said, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. And Alex, we've missed out on a lot of cards. Just being gone for weeks, not not years, not not eh, months. Yeah, months. It's a lot of weeks. We missed out on some cards. So let's talk about some of the ways that you can catch up, right? Not just for the ones that we missed out on, but if you took a break from the game, if you were on a trip, if you just fell out of it for a while. Um, first one I'm going to say is don't get overwhelmed trying to look at everything, right? There's so much magic content. We are magic content. There's, there's gameplay. There's set reviews. There's investment reviews. There's let's talk about Hasbro. Let's talk about Watsi. There's all of this stuff. Start small. What do you want to know about? And work your way up. Alex, the the Warhammer precoms that came out, I forgot were a thing. I legitimately forgot that Warhammer was going to be a set. Yeah. Or or a setting, let's say. And I forgot that until I went to a friend's house for a potluck, and they brought out the precons and asked if everybody wanted to shuffle up and play one. And I went... Yes, absolutely. Man, I don't know. Comes. I need better friends. It's, it, hey, come on out. California, I, I got a room for you. Uh, it's, it was weird because I was sitting there. It's like, first of all, I was kind of excited because you and I talk about magic. We do this podcast. We have our Discord. There were cards where, or there were decks where I went, I am going to be unaware of 90% of my deck. Yeah. This is exciting for me. And, and, and doing that and playing with that. Start small. Oh, I'm going to look at this set. Oh, I'm going to see how many sets came out. Like, just figure out what you want to look into. And then do that. Don't try and catch everything up all at once. Uh, it's basically like trying to take an entire college class in a night. Don't do that. Do your homework. Do a little bit of looking into it. Or just go play games and ask people. They're going to have lots of opinions for you. I think that magic content can really facilitate that right because you have those podcasts like the commands and and, uh, many other podcasts that will do an edh set review and and they're only going to talk about cards that are relevant to to edh which is going to drastically cut down on the number of cards you have to review and i think Mm -hmm. that we do a similar thing right for the we have the digest for people who care about political effects and There's a lot of other cards in the set that we don't talk about. Exactly. Exactly. We're, and that's the point. Like if you, okay, say, say you have been gone from magic as long as we have been off the air or whatever you want to call it. If you went and you listened to all of the command zone to get caught up, that's a lot of hours. That's a lot of episodes. So pick and choose. Oh, hey, I want to look at this pre-con that they discussed and some of the stuff. Oh, I want to look at what they said about Dominaria and some of the cool legends that came out of that set. Look into bits and pieces and then find what you want to do or just divide it up so it's not overwhelming and it's not, oh, I've missed on months and sets upon sets. It's, oh, okay, I'm going to check into this. Okay, I'll check into this. Um, Why don't you tell me about our second one here? Yeah, you can just uh, go on sites like TCG Player or Scryfall and just 
look at the whole set. Yeah. Right. You don't have to go through each individual deck list and have this mixture of new cards and reprints, uh, not even sorted by color or any other criteria you care about. The nice thing about Scryfall, for example, is that you can sort by EDH popularity. If the set's been out yep. for a little while, that'll be relevant cards first. The nice thing about TCG player is you can sort it by price. So you can say like, hey, all of these cards, these are under $20 or whatever. And uh, those are the cards that I'm actually going to be interested in buying and not buying right. anything above that. And and that makes sense, especially if it's if it's something where, oh, I want to see, you know, all of this set and I'm going to look at it by set. I want to figure out what cool cards from this set I want. Great. I've finished looking through this set. I have my cart or I have my notes for what cards I want to get eventually. Let's move on to the next one. Stuff like that, right? That's totally reasonable. Then one of the other things that you can do as far as I like I I can't go through set by set by set when I miss out on stuff because my brain is too scattered. I have too many EDH decks. So then I I, I overwhelm myself because I'm going well, that card is good in this deck I have. That card is good in this deck that I have. And at a certain point, I've, I've got 70% of the set in my my cart. And that's that's too much. That's too much set. I, I, I'm on a budget. So instead, I go, hey, these are the decks that I'm looking forward to playing the most now that I'm getting back into it. So pick a deck or two to look through and update that instead of trying to do everything at once, right? Just, again narrow your field of vision as much as you can to where you don't get overwhelmed with all the stuff that you missed and then you can broaden it as you go out uh alex when's when's the last time that uh you when's the last time that you were so overwhelmed by content that you just you had choice paralysis as far as what you were going to build and what decks you have and what are you going to do goodness mike i don't think i've ever been as overwhelmed with magic releases as i am now um, right. I don't think that I've ever, until this year, let sets go by without updating my decks, reviewing the whole set mm-hmm. card by card, updating my decks. I mean, once upon a time, I would be going through each set and then ordering cards then and there. Or once even upon a time, once, a, <laughs> once upon a time, once upon a podcast, like when we were first starting, yeah. every time we were a new set was coming out, you and I were going through it separately and then together. Oh, okay. This would, oh, this is really car, cool card. This will fit in this. Oh, I like what they're doing. This. And, and that's the, that's the birth of this podcast, really talking about these cool things that interact in ways that you and I think are really cool. And now there's a lot. There's a lot, Alex. There's a lot. So it's so it's okay. I'm gonna pick narrower lanes, and I'm gonna sit in those lanes. And I'm gonna see exactly what I'm looking for for what cards I'm interested in based off of set. Fine deck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm still here with choice paralysis as far as when I'm going to take apart some of my older decks. I've got decks I haven't played in a year and a half, two years, maybe longer at this point. I'm not going to look through all of the cards that come through a set and be super excited to update those decks because if I was, I'd already be playing them, right? Yeah. And then you get into, all right, instead of looking through a deck, instead of looking through an entire set, um, you are the person that whenever we have to go through a set, whenever we have to look at keywords, whenever we have to look at anything, you are the one that is in charge because you know how Scryfall works. I can't words. I can't those things. I can't find search. I'm not terms. even doing anything fancy in Scryfall. I just take the names of the cards that we're interested in. But when we, when I'm making a new deck, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I expect this is about what you're about to talk about. Um, yep. As a alternative to EDH Rack, because I would never say to not use EDH Rack. It's a great tool. Mm-hmm. But as an alternative, if you know the phraseology, the templating, of the things that you want to do, you can search those up. And I think that's what you were about to touch on, Mike. Yeah. I You can use Scryfall when it's one of those things where what does your deck do? Well, for Alex and I, we have a lot of each player. We're big fans oh, yeah. of that. Each player, we're, each opponent's. Yep. Any number of, the- of players. So those are things that a lot of our decks revolve around or have a lot of. So sometimes 
Scryfall, search keyword or search for phrase all players or each player. Great. I'm going to get a big old list of cards. Yeah. Some of them are going to be new. Some of them I haven't seen before. A lot of them I probably haven't seen before. Sometimes when you want to catch up and you've gone through sets and you've gone through all this stuff and okay, I think I've got it. What, you know what? Pick a deck. What do you want it to do? What does that deck do? Great. Go ahead and scryfall and just search by keywords, phrases. I never did that before until I started talking with you specifically on the podcast. And then you use Scryfall as a resource to make deck or, you know, make lists of the cards that we're going to talk about. Absolutely. It has the pictures there. looks great. Awesome. And then it's, oh, wait, I can search by all of these specific things. Oh, I don't have to search for group hug and rely on somebody else's category. Uh, categorization yeah, you can of a find card. the group hug cards on your I, own. Right, because they're group hug for me because they say each player. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be something that each player. You can find this kind of thing with certain quirks of language, right? Instead of searching for draw a card to find card draw effects, you can search for draws a card to find yep. when other players are drawing cards yep. or making other players draw cards. Instead of create a token, you can search for creates a token. Yep. You look into your deck and try and find some similar phrases that you see in multiple cards. Then take that phrase and put it in a scryfall and, and sort it by the colors that you want even and see how that works for you. I think because if, you, if you're really drilling down right with your deck, I think that mm -hmm. a lot of people could do with what I do, although I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But you can take those phrases, those ideas, these broad strokes of what your deck does, and you can categorize them and use that to find what works and what doesn't, right? If you're making categories for your deck and you find that you have cards that don't fit into any category and you think about it, well, maybe some of those cards are in there for sentimental value or I thought they were going to work, but right. they don't. Or they're from an older strategy that I've been phasing out, right? Using that, using categorization and using that language to search for new cards is a great way to update your decks because then that solves the other problem of taking out you don't right. You don't just have the problem of taking out a land uh, to put in a spell, right? That's that's always a big no no. But you also have that issue of taking mm -hmm. out, for example, a card draw effect to put in good stuff for your deck, right? So you can be right. more cognizant of that if you have these terms in these categories. Like, well, should I really be taking out this ramp spell to put in another whatever my deck does? Like, I need to think about it, and I can actually see. These are the ramp effects that I have, and I know that they yeah. are because they say add blank mana or search your library for a land. I can actually find those cards. Do I, do I need more of enabling the deck to do the thing or more do the thing? Right. And searching based off that. And frankly, uh, our, our last one here, where I'm going to add a bonus one specifically because you brought it to my attention. Go to EDH rec. Click on your commander. And scroll down just a little bit. To new, new cards additions. is the first thing that shows yeah. up. <laughs> like, Listen, you we can... know. Yeah. We know that you aren't going to recognize every card in a set that people might be interested in running in your commander. And you might not right. even personally know any people who have the same commander as you for any given one of your decks. So that feature on EDH Rec that's specifically enumerating cards that mm -hmm. have just come out, that people are just starting to put in the deck that normally wouldn't even show up in the top 100 cards for that deck because they're yeah. too new. But that yeah. you don't care about that. You want to know what's new and what's available. I, I would say, it, it, especially with, we're, you know, if we're talking about, oh, we're making content for Magic and people who like EDH, and then, you know, specifically who like a, a version of EDH that we usually play, but... I'd, I'd like to think that we we get, we're accessible to just about anybody who likes to play Commander at all. I hope um, so. That's my bias. That's my that's my threat assessment uh, that I'm I'm failing on. But that's okay. Um, I think we've long since chased away people who don't like political bug effects. Nah, that's fine. They're they're still here. Just, they're just, if nothing else for a hate. They're list. just doing. Uh, but here's the thing: we could easily be talking to people that I have two EDH decks. Great. So click on your commander, go to EDH rec, scroll down about a half a screen worth, 
and look at the new cards specifically for your commander. Mm-hmm. And if those thing, if those cards seem cool, feel free to go and click on them from there and pick them up and throw them in your deck somewhere. Right. And the fact that I think it's kind of interesting. I almost feel like Wizards makes it very, very hard to keep up to date with magic, with the amount oh, of is. cards that come out. It is. But we as uh as the consumers <laughs> of of all of this magic are trying to make it as easy as possible for ourselves and for people that listen to us to be able to interact with all this new stuff. I don't think I'm going to pick up any of the Warhammer precons, but I had a really fun time playing those. So I'm going to look through those precons and see if there's stuff that I can put into a couple of other desks. Uh, they're going to be completely out of theme. What with the, you know, super futuristic 40,000 year old uh, war and space Marines and all this other stuff. If I put it in my, you know, the Victus as the dire deck, yeah. but it's still going to be fun. And I think that's kind of the point is, if you're coming back into it, you're coming back into it because you want to get back into the fun that you were having or hope to have again. I think that brings up an excellent point, Mike, and, and I'll add on my second bonus point with that. There we go. Is that you don't necessarily need to catch up to come back to playing Magic. Thank right? you. And I think that Mike really touched upon one of the joys that is often ill-afforded to people like us that care very deeply about the game and analyze it to a fault and follow spoilers and look at all the new cards. And that joy is seeing new cards or new decks that you've never interacted with before and getting to play with them on the spot or getting to, to run them, right? Mike, when's the last time that you saw a card not during spoiler season and thought I've never seen that before. And I'm definitely going to run it now. I think that that happens less and less as time goes on, but yeah, that that's something that really can only happen if you're not judiciously keeping up with magic. Right. It, it turns into a point where it's uh, the, the, the only times that happens is when we're talking about like head turn cards, right? Like, uh, Ooh, can I see that? It, like if if Smothering Tithe came out now instead of a couple of years ago, right? And I'm like, what the heck is that? Oh, yeah. boy. You know, like that's the kind of thing where, oh, man, I'm going to have to get that. Outside of that, and even that's pretty rare at this point. Because you know what? I started thinking about it. And the last one I can think of before that was Esper Sentinel. I didn't buy a bunch of Esper Sentinel. I didn't go out of my way to get a bunch. But I had that reaction of like, whoa. This has drawn my attention because it's drawn the attention of everybody that I uh, I listen to on this stuff. But I feel like I'm still doing okay without it in a bunch of my decks. I'm still having fun. And that's that's the point, right? That's why we're doing it. At least I hope that's why we're doing it. You're not you're not getting rich off of uh playing magic, are you? Lord no. Okay, good. If you if you were, you would have to tell me. Like that you're there's an obligation at that point. I'm not sure by what metric you think it would be making money from playing Magic. I don't think even professional players are making very much money playing Magic. I I didn't say that you were. I'm just saying if there was some kind of secret to it, I would expect you to share it with me. All right, Michael, keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some other things that we want all of you to keep in mind. Uh, If you've enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe, rate the podcast. If you want to buy any of the cards that we would have talked about, if we had been going through each set and going through Scryfall and going through EDH Rec and TCG Player and all those different places, um, or deck boxes, sleeves, etc., you can actually support us by going to bit.ly slash EDH underscore social. We'll put that link in the show notes so you can go to our affiliate link and buy cards from TCG Player. You can search the cards there, too. It's synergy. It's weird Incidentally, if you are a listener of ours and yeah. maybe it's been a while for you, too, I think that it wouldn't be unbecoming if if we got requested to to do a bit of a catch-up episode, not going yeah. through and doing, okay, here's the set review for Warhammer, here's right, the set review right. for Infinity, but okay, here's the last 
however many sets have we missed since we last reviewed. These are the mm-hmm. best political cards from all of those sets in one episode. If that's yeah. something you would like, let us know. Hit us up. And one of the ways you can hit us up, by joining our Discord. We'll put a link in the show notes and holler at, at, at Lapper and myself. Hey, I want to know all that stuff that you guys missed. Get on it. All right, we'll get on it. Hey. Um, and also, if you wanted to ask our honorable judge Alex a question, where would they find you, buddy? Well, you can find me on Twitter at LapperMedic, L-A-P-P-E-R-M-E-D-I-C. Uh, if you are interested in EDH combos, infinite combos, infinite mana, infinite damage, all that good stuff. Well, I have another project called the Commander Spellbook, where we catalog all of Magic's infinite combo majesty. Visit us at commanderspellbook.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social or, again, email us at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. Alex, it was good to talk to you again. It's really good to be back, Mike, and hopefully this won't be the last time for a long time. Yeah, uh, not not having to drive three hours to uh, to work for training and then stay in a hotel for, you know, Monday through Friday with no internet and then drive back and then, uh, it was it was rough. And yeah, I'm really sorry to hear you, that. Yeah, I mean, it's good now. I'm happy. I, I like my job. I just... And I, I, I asked them to move their office closer, and, and they said no. So here we are. First of um, all, how dare they? I know, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm worth it, I yeah. think. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to not keeping you too far away. We're going to be talking to all of you really soon.